Palm Sunday 2021. Wow, you finally made it to Palm Sunday. Thank you, Viano and Sean and Simon for leading us today. And uh, once again, we're over here at Institut Biblique du Québec in the city of Longueuil. And thank you for uh, tracking with us and tuning in this morning a little bit late today, trying to make sure that it sounds good for you online. So please feel free to send us some feedback and a comment. Visit with one another through the comments section, and uh, we'll try and, and put those up and post those uh, directly in, in the feed as we can. But I uh, wanted to welcome you today. And a few announcements for you before we begin our message. I always mention our global workers, uh, otherwise known as missionaries, to use a more traditional term, the MANS, uh, Don and Marie Jose, who are engaged in uh, global leadership training, still writing content and preparing to deploy, to travel. And uh, lots of experience, lots of uh, years under their belts in leadership. Pray for the Charbonneaux also in Haiti and also E.J. Tupé, our only uh, missionary who is serving in Canada uh, in uh, downtown urban uh, Toronto. Uh, also, I wanted to let you know of our discipleship group that uh, is online. It's a private Facebook group, great group and community that's forming uh, with these people who have decided to take the next step in their spiritual walk, in their they're praying for one another. They're praying for people in our church. They're uh, getting involved, using their different gifts and talents, and and uh, trying to to grow more in Christ. I give them homework and things to do and challenges. Uh, so if you want to be a part of that group, and if it's you know Sunday every Sunday, whether you're in person, whether you're online, it's just not enough for you, and you need something deeper than uh, if you all you need is a Facebook account and go to our Facebook page. And the tap the more uh, arrow there and groups and you'll find us. It's uh, City Point Discipleship. Thank you for your faithfulness in giving. People are e-transferring. People are using PayPal. People are delivering to our mailing address. Thank you for that. Let me give you some uh, a big piece of news about Easter. Uh, you have heard the announcement this week, probably from the province. Uh, so before he made the announcement, we were set for two services at Cineplex on Easter Sunday. One was supposed to be at 9.45, the other was supposed to be at 11 because of the, at the time, 25-person limit uh, for places of worship. We're a unique uh, church in the sense that we don't own a place of worship. We rent a public place. But Cineplex was saying, well, we're going to play by the, the, the rules of operation for uh, places of worship for you. And so we were respecting that. And then the province changed the rules a little bit and said, no, we'll go up to 250 max in a place of worship, provided there's two-meter distancing and masks and so on and all of the, the normal protocol. So we are going to make things simple. Next week, Easter Sunday, we will be at Cineplex at 1015 in number 10. If you have registered already, you don't need to do anything else. Just show up on time, wear your masks, and that's pretty well all you've got to do. You will be washing your hands when you walk in. We'll have a hand sanitizing station inside our theater, two-meter distancing between families and so on will happen there, but we've got plenty of room um, so, if you have not registered, you, you can do so very easily on our website, 
citypointchurch.ca. We're going to have our band live. We're going to have uh, some uh, treats for kids 12 and under, little Easter kind of uh, treats for you. And we're going to finish up our message series, What's So Big About Easter, talking about the resurrection of Jesus, all right? It's just going to be nice to be together in the same room at the same time. And I've spoken to a number of pastors who are doing the same thing. Different churches do different things, but I've spoken to some and uh, just excited to get people in the same room. It's been a long, long time. So, um, yeah, register online for that. I will have an announcement about Good Friday shortly. Uh, I will get that to you by text or by email. Still working on something for Good Friday. Haven't uh, finalized it yet, all right? So watch for your watch your, your smartphone or your email account. If you're not on our uh, email list or uh, text list, uh, if my producer can roll that ticker at the bottom of the screen, just text the key phrase, reach the one with no spaces, reach the one to 514-900-0130, and I will be able to communicate with you directly, no paper, we don't have to worry about that, go straight to your phone or your email account. If you're brand new with us and you're coming on Easter Sunday, all you have to do is register through our website and you'll get right into our email list automatically, Uh, so it's really easy, okay? So today uh, is Palm Sunday, and we're going to do part four of our message series here, What's So Big About Easter? Anyway, because uh, people have this view, this perception of Easter that, well, you know, that's either it's eggs, bunnies, and chocolate, or it's these Christians who believe in their God, Jesus, and, you know, his resurrection from the dead or whatever. But it doesn't, it doesn't really, it's not really big news for the rest of the world. And uh, I want to challenge that, uh, that idea and say that this is the biggest news that's ever happened. Oh, I'm going up, I'm going down. I'm being heard, yes? Something happened here. Okay, well, make sure I'm being heard because I think my monitoring just... Just went, but as long as you're being heard, uh, I'm being heard online. That's what matters. Okay, uh, so um, it, yeah, that's the challenge. Uh, I think if we look at the scripture and we look at history, the most significant event is the resurrection of Jesus. This transformed the world. And I want to try and help you understand that. And so we've looked at the baptism of Jesus, the temptation of Jesus. We looked at the miracles of Jesus. And today we're going to look at Palm Sunday. And you'll see why in a few moments. And the message title is The Unexpected King. If we're not coming through online, please let us know. Uh, Maybe if you could turn the subs up in the house here. I could hear myself a little bit more. People are saying thumbs up. Everything's good. Excellent. All right. Let me give you uh, a little bit of binge watching for homework over what we call Holy Week. And I will tell you, as I've told our discipleship group, to watch the streamed series called The Chosen. Just go to thechosen.tv. You can watch it on, I think, YouTube. You can download the app on Apple or uh, Android devices. 
I would challenge you to watch this series and to share it with non-Christian people, people of different religious views, people of no religious views. They will be surprised. They will be wondering if that's what the Bible really teaches about Jesus because it is so well done. The characters are so well developed. It just makes you want to watch it and keep watching it. Uh, season two uh, will start on Easter Sunday night, I think at eight o'clock. All right. So I'm going to be tuning in and watching it. I thought it was excellent. I found myself very moved watching this series, and I'm quite picky about these Jesus stories a lot, and movies and television series and so on. So I would challenge you to watch that. Today we're going to talk about the unexpected king. Uh, this is Palm Sunday, as we call it. Now, the nice thing about this uh, uh, event in history that we call Palm Sunday today, it wasn't called that back then, is that we've got it in all four accounts in the Bible's New Testament. We've got it in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. So I've put on your screen there Matthew's account, Luke's account, John's account, because uh, Mark's is very similar to Matthew's and Luke's, okay? Um, and so uh, just this is a case where you want to read this thing in all four of the Gospels, because if you do, and you see it from the different angles of these writers, and you understand just a little bit about history, you're going to find out that what we typically understand about Palm Sunday is actually off, and there's a real practical relevance to Palm Sunday today, uh, so while you're getting your Bibles ready, maybe electronics or, or, or paper, um, I'm going to read from, um, uh, from Matthew's account, Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 11. As they approach Jerusalem, this would be Jesus' last appearance in Jerusalem before he is executed. This is the last week of his life, as it's traditionally understood. This is his last time that he came. He would come to Jerusalem many times. Uh, for sure, he came to Jerusalem for all of the pilgrimage feasts, where you had to make a, an appearance in Jerusalem and present sacrifices. But he also did so at different times in the Gospels, probably at least seven uh, so this is the last time, and he's going into Jerusalem uh, on the Mount of Olives. Uh, he, he came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, another gospel will say Bethany, same area. And Jesus sends two disciples ahead of him, and he says, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there. And don't think of Shrek, okay? <laughs> a donkey tied there and her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. Say, what's he interested in donkeys and colts? Just hold on. If anyone says anything to you, uh, tell him that the Lord needs them and he will send them uh, or bring them back right away after he's done with whatever he wants to do with them. And so Matthew picks up on this and he says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And he quotes from uh, Zechariah chapter 9, the minor prophet Zechariah. Say to the daughter of Zion, which means Jerusalem, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Curious reference in Matthew's mind. He is saying that Jesus is doing this 
to identify himself as the king. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them. And Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Now, this is reminiscent of when King Jehu was uh, crowned the king of Israel. They did the exact same thing. They put their cloaks on the road. You find this in 2 Kings, I think, chapter 8. It's King Jehu. And so they're, they're trying to say they recognize that this man who's riding on this animal is a king. A very large crowd, and they cut branches from the trees. Doesn't tell us that they were palm branches there. The only uh, account that tells us there were palm branches are in John's uh, is in John's account. It's critical to the story. It's why we call it Palm Sunday. Uh, but it's not listed in Matthew, but it is in John, okay? And so you've got this scene happening, and the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna, like we sung today. That's why we picked the song, Hosanna to the Son of David. That's clear language from uh, Psalm 118. Son of David is their understanding of uh, where the Messiah would come from. Hosanna means God save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And there, this is right out of Psalm 118. And when Jesus entered, he actually went into this city, and the city is getting ready for Passover at this point. There could be like two million people coming into the city, uh, some scholars say, for Passover, uh, because that's the that's like the biggest pilgrimage uh, feast that you had. You had Passover, you had uh, uh, Tabernacles, and you had Pentecost. Uh, I talked about this last night. Oh, when we talked about Passover last night, you can watch that online if you choose. So you've got a large, large amount of people here, and they are pumped because they are thinking that this Jesus who's coming in on this animal is the king, is the son of David, is God who's... who's uh, uh, or God is saving through this king. Um, th these are the kinds of thoughts that they're having, and this is why they're quoting this scripture. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and said, who is this? And the crowds answer, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. We call this sometimes in, in Bibles, you're going to see a little title that says, The Triumphant Entry. And so we have this picture of this joy-filled scene and this, uh, the king is here and, and uh, the Messiah is here. And, and this, these kinds of ideas come into our mind when we think about Palm Sunday. Hmm. Let me pause and ask a question to you, and we'll put this on the screen, uh, food for thought. Have you ever wondered to yourself, why is it that the Jewish people 
most Jewish people around the world completely reject Jesus as their king, as their Messiah, as God. Uh, They reject him, and they read the Bible too. Uh, Have you ever wondered why that's so? Uh, Let me give you some reasons that come from today's rabbis. There's just a few things that I read, uh, but generally they all say the same thing, and I'll give you eight reasons why they say this. Number one, and we'll put these on your screen, according to today's rabbis at least, and see if you find some similarities to what we see in the Bible. No man can be God, they say. So for any man to make the claim that they are actually God, which Jesus clearly did, and the Jews certainly believe that Jesus made those claims, or they wouldn't say that he's not the Messiah today, right? So they can read the New Testament too, and they're saying, well, look, this guy in, the, in your Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is claiming to be God. No man can claim to be God, and so it's impossible for him to be the Messiah. So huge problems with the idea that there was a claim to deity, and Jewish people today do not believe that the Messiah will actually be God. They believe he will be a man, but not that he will be God. You'll recall that in the Gospels, essentially what got Jesus executed was the claim that he was deity, was the claim that he was the anointed one, the Christ, but also that he was God incarnate, God in the flesh. Number two, according to the rabbis today, Jesus did not bring world peace. In other words, when, when the Messiah comes, he's going to bring universal, lasting world peace. And your Jesus did not do that, according to them, right? Remember when Jesus was born, the angelic visitation, what do they say? Peace on earth, goodwill to men, we sometimes translate it. Uh, and so, in their understanding today, these rabbis are saying, well, if Jesus was the Messiah, where's the peace? Where's the world peace? Uh, number three objection, Jesus did not bring the world to worship. So, in their view, when the Messiah comes, the whole world will be unified around him, will respect him, and will worship him. And that didn't happen with Jesus, they say. Hmm. Now, objection number four, Jesus did not regather the exiles back to Israel and to Jerusalem. So uh, that's what the Messiah is supposed to do. In their understanding, he's supposed to gather the remnant, the exiles who've been, who have been uh, uh, dispersed from the, uh, the nation over the generations. They're supposed to come back. There's supposed to be a regathering to Israel. They say, well, Jesus didn't do that. See, uh, objection number five, Jesus did not rebuild the temple. Well, when Jesus arrived, there was a temple already, but 40 years after, that temple would actually be destroyed. So within a generation of Jesus' appearing, The temple in Jerusalem would be completely destroyed. It's never since been rebuilt. The city was destroyed at that time by the Romans. And uh, so they say, well, if Jesus was the Messiah, uh, where's the temple? Objection number six. So according to the rabbis today, Jesus did not heal the sick in a lasting way. They're supposed to be healed and they're supposed to stay healed. He's supposed to bring in a new 
totally new order of things. That didn't happen. Objection number seven, according to them, uh, Jesus did not keep the Jewish law. He seems to manipulate the Sabbath, in their view, according to his own whims and his own fancies. And so, therefore, he's not keeping the Jewish law, and therefore, he can't be the Messiah. Number eight, Jesus had a lack of Jewish support. Not all the Jews rallied around him and believed in him, certainly a segment did, but one could argue a large amount of them didn't. And so they say, ha ha, uh, Jesus is not the Messiah. Uh, and this is why we reject him. This is the typical lines that are used by the rabbis today in the 21st century. It's interesting, uh, and I won't take the time to pick at each one of these, but a lot of these things have to do with expectation and uh, result. One of the major problems with this whole line of thinking is that they do not account for both a suffering servant Messiah and a leader Messiah who will conquer sin and bring in everlasting righteousness. They, they, don't, they don't account for this, uh, it, especially the suffering servant and uh, the problem is that when you look into the pages of the Old Testament, you see kind of two pictures of the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah, one who will suffer for the sins of the people and one who will also bring in everlasting righteousness and conquer sin, death, the grave, sickness, disease, and so on. And uh, for Jewish people, the idea that this would happen over uh, the Messiah coming to the world two times is unfathomable to them. They say, no, it all has to be done in one shot. And so this notion of the second coming of Christ, where he will judge sin finally, and where he will bring in everlasting righteousness, and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, and the old order of things has passed away, and death and mourning has passed away. Impossible. It should have happened at his first coming. It didn't. Uh, but it's really, really hard to have, on the one hand, a suffering servant who will die for the sins of the people, and on the other, a conquering uh, king who will reign and uh, judge the world with righteousness and bring in everlasting uh, justice and universal peace. It would seem to reason that two comings would make a lot more sense. But in any case, expectation. So a question for you, and this is a question that I think can be asked across the religious spectrum. It can be asked by people who have no religious view. It can be asked by our, our community uh, at large, by our culture at large, when we start thinking about God. Have you ever expected God to be one way and turned out that he was completely different. Did you ever think to yourself, well, God, if there's a God, then he, or some people say he or she or it, must be this way. And yet, over life, you find out that God is a completely different way than what you expected. And I find that even amongst people of faith. There's an expectation uh, for God to be one way, and it turns out that he's quite another. And expectations are interesting. You know, we develop them over things we've been taught. We've developed them over our personal experiences, and we kind of have this view 
uh, and this expectation. We have expectations in marriage. We have expectations uh, in family, in relationships, in, in virtually every sphere of life. But sometimes the expectations and the results can be two very, very different things. And I would submit to you that that's what's going on here on Palm Sunday. So we usually think about Palm Sunday as peace and love and joy and celebration and uh, worship and these palm branches. We often think of them as being symbolic of these things, Uh, but there's something else that's going on here in this event in the life of Jesus and the people, and it's critical that we understand this because it changes our understanding of who he is, of who God is, Is this day about peace, love, joy, celebration, or is it about nationalism and political freedom? And I would suggest to you, uh, you, if you read the Gospels, all four of them, and you see what's going on here, they have an intention about Jesus and an expectation about Jesus that he is going to not meet uh, at this time. So if we flip over to Luke's gospel, and we read it in Luke chapter 19, um, we see something rather rather startling that we typically do not think of at all when it comes to Palm Sunday. I highly doubt that when you woke up this morning and you thought, oh, today's Palm Sunday, yay, you did not think of God in the way that I'm about to read. Uh, You did not think of Jesus in the way that I'm about to read at all. But this is Luke's rendering of it, and um, he gets to the part where um, the crowd starts developing and Jesus comes in, uh, on the the animal, and uh, it says this this way, verse thirty seven. When he came near the place where the road uh, goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples, and that's not just the twelve; that's this whole big crowd, began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Again, from Psalm 118. Well, people would utter that that psalm, Psalm 118, especially at Passover, if they were religious zealots and there was a potential self-proclaimed Messiah on the scene. And when they were saying this, Hosanna to the King, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, what they're saying in a political sense is, Maybe this is the one who's going to get rid of the Romans. Maybe this is the one who's going to set us free from this oppression. This is, this is what they're actually saying, and I'll show that to you in a moment here. Verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. You need to quiet these people down. They're calling you the king. You're not the king. You're not the Messiah. Jesus says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. He's not denying he's the Messiah, but watch what happens, and only Luke picks up on this. As he approached Jerusalem, which is in the immediate vicinity there, it's not like he steps out of one place, steps into another place, and the crowd is not there, and the crowd doesn't follow, and he saw the city, he wept over it. He's not celebrating. He's weeping. He wept over it, and he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. 
You say, what do you mean? I thought Palm Sunday is about peace and joy and celebration and the king has come. And Jesus has a totally different perspective on this. He said, if you would only know on this day what would give you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. Verse 43, it's a stunning, stunning thing he's about to say. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. Forty years after he said it, it came to pass. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize Your expectations are wrong. You did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So what he's saying is, you've got an expectation of me and what's happening here, and you're totally missing the big picture, and you don't see what's coming. You don't see the train wreck that's going to come. You're going to lose it all because you are not recognizing what is really happening here, and you don't understand what I am trying to do here. Jesus came into that city not to conquer, but to die. What? This is why he's weeping. They do not recognize what's going to happen. And this business of palm branches, uh, I'll show you this picture on the screen here. Uh, This is a coin that dates 2,000 years ago, about 2,000 years ago. Um, And it's got got beautifully uh, detailed uh, uh, palm uh, branch on it. And this commemorates, uh, I think there's about 22,000 of these coins that have been found. This commemorates a rebellion uh, by the Jews after the temple was destroyed and after the city was was taken over. Uh, This is a rebellion by the Jews under a self-proclaimed Messiah by the name of Simon Bar Kokhba. And this is about 125, 135, I think it is. He was a self-proclaimed Messiah, had a little bit of success. Uh, Some historians say that he did manage to take some of the city, uh, but others say he didn't, and he was ultimately defeated, whoever you talk to. But you see these uh, coins, and you see these palm branches on these coins, because the palm branches were the symbol of the national victory uh, that they were looking for, the political, the military, and the national victory that they were looking for. Um, In um, the story of Hanukkah, uh, we talked about Passover last night, but in the story of Hanukkah, you have the Maccabees under Judas Maccabeus, the Jewish people, taking back the uh, the temple from the Seleucid uh, Empire in this this guerrilla warfare thing, and and they light the sacred candelabra in the temple after it had been profaned, and so on, and this thing stays miraculously lit, even though they didn't have enough oil. But what did they do after that? They had these these palm branches that signified that conquest and that victory and that military uh, power to take back uh, their temple and so on. So these palm branches are not, you know, peace, love, joy, and celebration that they're putting on the, on the ground uh, as Jesus is coming in. They're saying, you're our man. You are the king. 
You are going to overthrow this, these Romans. You are going to give us uh, uh, our nation back. You are going to give us uh, political conquest. You are going to give us military might and victory because you're the king. You're the Messiah. And so we worship you, Hosanna in the highest. You know, this is what they're expecting. And Jesus is, is weeping over this. He's saying you have totally, totally missed this the boat his his method of transport i'll put that on the screen for you on this donkey um uh from zechariah chapter 9 notice gentle not on a on a glorious you know white horse or something but gentle on this colt um He's not coming into Jerusalem to kick out the Romans. He's not coming in with a national uh, 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 motivation to conquer and to raise an army and to do all of these things like Simon Bar Kokhba would uh, 120, uh, whatever, 100 years later. No, he's coming in for a very, very different motive and agenda. Now, there's something that's happening now. It's been going on for a while, but it's come to a a sort of a fever pitch uh, right now, as it, it mainly in the U.S., but it is in in a lot of other places around the world, and you see traces of it uh, here in Canada. And there is this idea; it's called Christian nationalism, and it's this idea that you know, uh, the United States or Canada, for that matter, these are Christian nations, and we need to take back these nations, and we need to, yes, we need to make disciples for Jesus and tell people about Jesus, but that's because there, there will be so many of us that we will be able to overtake this ungodly political system, and in this ungodly world, and we will conquer, uh, and we will, we will uh, Christianize the nation as as it were, and this kind of um, what you call Christian nationalism, and so it's this idea that we we're we're in real trouble here, and we need to dominate, we need to take over, and that's what our faith is all about, folks. That's the same thing that they thought two thousand years ago on Palm Sunday. It may be the reason why Judas. Uh, went through with the betrayal, because in his mind, it could have triggered a violent revolt. And so he thought that might be the tipping point. Judas is a complex kind of psychological figure in the Gospels. But there, was, there were these people on Palm Sunday, and they're saying, here's our man. What did we see in the United States, the previous president? There was a huge surge of Christian support around this president because of this very reason of Christian nationalism. There were people who were calling the previous president the Messiah because of this. Well, he's bringing in some policies and some things that are sort of pro uh, in in line with the Bible a little bit, and he's he's speaking against this, and he's speaking against this, and you know he's pro religious freedom, and he's pro life, and he's pro Israel. That's Christian nationalism. When we put our hope in this world, and we want a kingdom on this world that's political and powerful with military might and all of those things, that's exactly what they were thinking about two thousand years ago on Palm Sunday. And what does it do to Jesus? It makes him weep. 
because he's not coming in there to conquer. He's coming in there to die for them, for their sin, and for the sin of the world, the suffering servant that the Jewish people today, the rabbis who I was talking about before, have a lot of trouble with the idea that the Messiah would suffer for the sins of the people, that God would die, that God would go to a cross and die for people. This is a profane thought to many, including those back in the Gospels. Jesus did not come to conquer Rome and dominate with a political kingdom. What he came to conquer, sin in the human heart, if we put that on the screen, by his death and ultimately his resurrection. So he's coming in there for the last time, and he sees that most of the people have missed his intention. Their expectations are off the mark, and he knows what's going to happen a generation from then when history tells us the Romans came in and it was over. And you can go and visit Jerusalem and see the remains of the retaining wall of the temple where where people go to pray passionately for the Messiah to come. And they missed him. And they missed him. And the question for us today is, have we missed him on this Palm Sunday? Do we realize that the priority that Jesus has for us at this time, immediate time in our lives, is to transform our hearts from the inside out? It's not to Christianize the world. It's good to have Christians in politics. It's good to have Christians in arts and in media and in education and all of that. That's all good. We should be salt and we should be light. But we're not here to dominate the world with Christianity. You can find plenty of religious views that that's their raison d'etre, is to dominate the world with their religion. That's not what Jesus is, is about. He wants to dominate your heart. He wants to transform you from the inside out and set you free from your sin. He will come back one day, and he will judge evil once and for all, and he will bring in everlasting righteousness, and he will bring in a new heaven and a new earth. Will there be no more death or mourning or, or crying? It will all have passed away, and behold, the new will have come. But until then, you and I have an opportunity to respond to him uh, as he calls us, as he tries to reach us, as he tries to speak to us, it's because what he wants is his kingdom in your heart. And uh, the forgiveness of sins and the transformation of the heart, that's what he's after. I'm going to pray for you as we finish up today, and I invite the band, if they would go ahead uh, to the their, take their places and start to play whatever you want, guys. But um, I think there are those of you who might be watching today, and maybe you've shared this broadcast with others. And, you know, the perception of Christianity is this Christian nationalism stuff. And the idea that, well, wait a second, who God wants is me. Who God wants and what God wants is to transform me, to change me, to set me free from that sin that strangles my life. That's the kingdom that he wants to set up in the heart. It's not a kingdom of this world. 
It's a spiritual kingdom. It's a kingdom that turns violent people into gentle people. It's a, it's a kingdom that turns an addict into a, a, a healthy person. It's a kingdom that takes broken relationships and makes them new. That, that's why we say, Hosanna, uh, in your kingdom, broken lives are made new. So God, I pray for people watching, listening, Lord, that this Easter, as we walk into the final week here before the big, big day, that this Easter we would posture ourselves in submission to you. Lord, that uh, we wouldn't get caught up in this world which is so temporary, in this world which is passing, but Lord, we would be caught up in you, in who you are, in what you want to do in our hearts and minds and lives. Lord, I pray for people who are discouraged, people who are uh, feeling isolated and alone, people who are feeling like, where is God? Uh, we want him to conquer. Uh, Lord, that we would, we would just hear the voice of your spirit uh, saying to us, who I want to conquer is you. Submit to me. Put me first in your life. So God, we just, we just do that today and humble ourselves before you and ask that you would be front and center once again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.